is a blue. You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. In this town, you're out of luck. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. And you're not moving anywhere. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. Take you out of this place, someone you can We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Good evening and welcome to In Conversation. And today's guest is one of the regular voices you'll hear on BT Sports Champions League coverage. It's Mr. Des Kelly. <laughs> well, good afternoon, Des. Thanks very much for joining us on the show. Um, a very regular on BT Sports Champions League coverage. And uh, it's, it's good to talk to you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, I want to go right back to um, sort of, well, not exactly day one of the Des Kelly story, but uh, you know, how did you first get involved in all of this? What, you know, when when you left school, what what was the ambitions at that point? Um, kind of drifted a little bit until I found uh, a local newspaper, the Richmond and Twickenham Times Group, and it's run by uh, a chap you'll know well. The he's basic uh, basically journalism royalty david dimple owned the group and mm. um he encouraged me to jump on board and uh, actually kept a job for me for a little while because i filled in for people when they were on a uh, holiday for free so um he enjoyed my uh, uh, um, approach to it <laughs> in fact i was doing it for love i think was a was a key factor and then um, uh, basically I've, until then i hadn't really thought about it but it it worked perfectly i, I thought i drifted to teaching or something like that at the time but i have no patience so i'd have been useless yeah. as a teacher but uh, it's being impatient is a great gift for a journalist <laughs> <laughs> but but a journalism obviously i mean I, i'm sure there are there are many tv presenters these days that have have come via journalism but at that point did you uh, imagine that you would become uh, a well-known voice on television it's it moved around i've been on newspapers most of my life really so my background is 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 newspapers all the way through uh, my wish was to be able to write and produce copy and have it in my physical hands something i'd done mm. um and i enjoy that immensely i never really thought of moving into tv much at all it wasn't something i i thought about but i've been doing this for 35 years so things change over over the years and uh, tv has become more and more prevalent and it's the biggest player in, in particularly in a sports market right now mm. so uh, i ended up it was it was something that evolved should we say because yeah. newspapers are shrinking it's about uh, managing decline in newspapers now the move to to online has sort of damaged all sorts of staffing levels and uh, uh, the future is television the future beyond television is is where you are now and uh, it's broadcasting via the ether mm. so uh, you know this you were what 17 18 at this point how long did you stay Ooh, with 20, the 21 yeah i did a, i did an english degree so i, I was 
I was uh, hanging around a little bit. So from about my early twenties, I was in journalism. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, you know, did you fall right into it? Did, did it sort of, um, you know, did you find it easy, or was it something that you had to work hard at? No, I found I, I, I didn't find it easy. Be slightly arrogant, but it was something I really wanted to do, and I felt an affinity with it. So I was happy to to work any hours to do whatever I wanted uh, to do, whatever they wanted to just get the paper out. I just really enjoyed it. It, it felt mm. natural, uh, and it was. I was looking for something, and I found it. I was very lucky. So it wasn't necessarily sport that was attracting you at this point. No. And it was just pure journalism. I was news. Um, I was in news. I was in everything really on local newspapers. It's like. It's like a smaller operation, so you get all sorts of experiences, court reporting, um, crime reporting, big interviews. Uh, I think my first ever story was the borough's largest sunflower. So, you know, <laughs> start low and, and aim high. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just enjoyed it. I, it, was a, it was an opportunity that fell in my lap because... I was filling in for other people. I just thought, yeah, I like this. This is great. And, and they reciprocated, and I was very lucky to get that break. Mm. I mean, a good friend of mine, sadly, he's passed away now, but uh, David Mink, who worked on the Manchester Evening News, you know, he was telling me that he, he started off as sort of birth, marriages, and deaths, and, yep. and yet yeah. ended up at, uh, you know, as the, the, the voice of Manchester United sort of thing. So uh, I know David very, very well. I used to work up in the north doing Manchester United in the northwest, so um, I was a news reporter then. So, yeah, David's absolutely a perfect example, yes. Mm. You do anything to get into it because you just want to – it gets into your blood after a while. Yeah, and then, of course, much as it was a sad occurrence, um, you know, it played right in his hands when, when Munich happened because, obviously, then he was – he was the voice of Man United for everything, really. Then, absolutely. You become trusted. You become trusted after a while. You establish yourself in in the business, and people then trust you. They trust you not to protect, betray confidences. They trust you with information. They trust your judgments. They are comfortable talking to you. So David Meek was in that position at Manchester United, and hopefully. One or two people might say the same about me. Maybe not. <laughs> but who knows? But that's the kind of situation you want. You build relationships that he's kind. Yeah. So uh, at what point then did you start towards making the move to television then? Um, well, I did a show called BBC Inside Sport. That was on BBC One. They did that with Gabby Logan and a couple of other lads. And uh, that was a sort of toe in the water for me. Um, and it was live every week, so... It was a sphincter-tightening moment. So we'd be on at 10.30 <laughs> on uh, BBC One. Um, and I, it gave me a great opportunity. I, so I did. I think I did Arsene Wenger's first ever one-on-one -on -one interview. Um, yeah, there were lots of little little breaks, on again, on that show that just opened doors for me. Uh, I was actually working on radio back then. I used to do BBC Five Live, and I did a lot of fighting talk back in those days. So that opened the door for talk sports. So then I had a show on talk sport, and and that then led to a return to television with BT Sport. So I'm still freelance, and I'm still available, gun for hire. So BT <laughs> just used me more than the others. <laughs> well, I'm sure the three listeners that we've got today will be making a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> right, time for a few musical choices from Mr. Kelly's repertoire. We're going to kick off with Both Ends Burning from Roxy Music.
There we go then, Roxy Music there and Both Ends Burning. So, so what was it like as a, as a I mean, what were you, were you sort of mid-twenties or thirties or that, that sort of point? I mean, what was it like making all these star celebrities like Arsene, Arsene Wenger and the like? Um, it's a privilege. I mean, everything I've done over the years has been a privilege. I, I don't get massively starstruck with sports people. I never have done. Maybe it's, maybe it's because they've been in and around all the time, so it's mm. just part of the uh, part of the furniture, part of the landscape. Um, but I, well, I, I was. Yeah, it's, it's odd talking about yourself. I never really think about it that much. <laughs> if you know what I mean, I don't reflect on it. Maybe one day I'll write a book. The, you. You just sort of get used to these people being around you. I don't get I don't get daunted by them anymore. I, I used, you, the job relies on, particularly on live television. It's very different to the jobs I was doing in journalism. In journalism, you can ask the same question over and over again until you get the answer you want. In, mm. On live TV, on live radio, yourself, you you ask a question and you may return to it. But TV has got very tight parameters. So, you know, a post match interview. If you go beyond three minutes, people start to panic. Three mm. minutes is a long time on TV. It's nothing on radio. Um, it's it's nothing in a, in a newspaper interview. But on TV, it's a long time for people to watch it. They don't realise it, but it just goes very quickly. So you you have to be fairly precise. You have to get to a point quickly. You can't immediately take a two-footed tackle on somebody. You have to get encourage them to, to do a lot of things in a very mm. short space of time. Encourage them to talk. Get them to get whatever they want to get off their chest, have a little reflection, and then ask the questions that you want to ask that they may not want you to ask, if you get mm. what I'm saying. So, yeah. not to cram in three minutes of, of live telly, and it has the great potential to go wrong. And um, the viewers at home, it's a little bit of a blood sport sometimes if somebody's <laughs> grumpy, so they, they all enjoy the, <laughs> the report of getting a kicking. Also. Um, so how many yeah. kickings have you had then? <laughs> Not too many years. I've been around a bit, you see. I've worked in newspaper departments. I've been sports editor of a few papers and that kind of thing. It, it gives you a bit more um, uh, gravitas or a bit more grounding if somebody comes for you. So I, I'm not too yeah. bad. I don't, I don't think... Um, I'm not an aggressive interviewer in the in the true sense. I, it's not that kind of job. I don't think you're not. It's not Paxman. It's not Frost Nixon. It's a discussion about football after mm. an event. And my job is to get some of the emotion out of the bring that emotion emotion out into the into the discussion, not to kill it. I see some interviews it's all uh, you know poking a finger it, get, it gets i think you can encourage people to, to tell more if you're conversational with them mm, yeah no well i mean i must admit that you know my first impression of you when i met you down at that uh, man united yeovil game was that you know he seemed like a nice bloke sort of he just came over as a nice bloke you know whereas whereas some uh, uh, i mean for example I, I don't know if you can remember this but um uh, well, I can't think of her name for the life of me now. The, the Man United press lady. Um, what is her name? Come on, help me. Let's not, let's not name names. No, we're all right then. But anyway, whoever she is, um, she wouldn't she wouldn't give us a player for the press. And we had, obviously, for Yeovil, it was a major game. And we, we had all the press line up. And I remember one guy, uh, do you know uh, Graham Nicholas? Yeah, very well. Yeah, well, well, Nico, well, you know, I know him ever so well because he used to come to Yeovil regularly. Of course, he was getting his knickers in a right twist because she wouldn't provide us any players, and obviously he had he had copy to fill and he had no player to talk to, sort of thing. Um, 
and, and I thought that was sort of quite unnecessarily, really. I mean, everybody knows Man United are Man United and that people are going to want to talk to the players. It's inevitable. They've just yeah. won the game, so why not talk to them? Um, so, you know, you came as therefore a, a pleasant sort of breath of fresh air because you didn't come blustering in and it was it was all very sort of laid back and, and, and no problem. So I was, I was pleased with that. Yeah, it's not always... I mean, I understand... I, I get your frustration, that, 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 which should be a, a normal thing that you would provide a player. Uh, Manchester United is sort of a, it's a massive operation. If you see the number of TV crews and the, t and the requests they get on a you know big Champions League night, for instance, it's, it's quite incredible. That's not an excuse. That's what they're there to manage. So mm. um, I can say, but the, the scale of, I mean, we did uh, Paris Saint Germain against Manchester City the other the other week. My God, the pitch sides interviews with there were <laughs> hundreds of them everywhere it was like a mob yeah. every tv station on the planet everyone wants something so it's it's a it's quite an operation to to manage and i can i can see why press officers uh, become a little bit sort of a siege mentality thing going on but hmm. it's, it's their job to cater with it so that's tough isn't it really but yeah it is an, an enormous um circus right now and hmm. and, and uh and may it long continue. <laughs> I'm sure it will with Man United anyway. More music now, and this time we've got The Charmed Life from A Divine Comedy.
life there from divine comedy now i've got three major passions in my life man united is the first one the oval town comes a very close second uh but i but i also like well no, probably four actually i also got a, a major passion for horse racing um and also uh rallying and i'm reading your notes here and i find hello he's done the network rec rally three of them yeah, well, that well, how did that come about? Was that just your passion, or was it? Uh... Uh, it, was an, it was an opportunity. Um, Tony Jardine is a, a big mover and shaker in motorsport, and um, he asked me to join him in, the, in these various adventures, and it seemed like a fantastic idea. Um, so we did three Arctic rallies. A couple of them were for documentaries for, for Sky, funnily enough, back then. Mm. Um, and we did so we we crashed out in two of those we finished one which was great it was fantastic yeah. Arctic, we were the top Europeans we were, so we were oh, sorry yeah. top non-Scandinavians which was a thing yeah absolutely so um, yeah great again it's, it's it's something that somebody says to you and you think yeah go on and let's let's try it and it was it was fantastic it's a great adventure I'm still Tony's still driving he's still trying to drag me out for one more so might do that soon Oh, well, you must keep you must yeah. keep us posted. You can do a you can do a sort of a blog on the radio for us, then, can't you? Oh, yes. oh Tony's good at all that stuff. He gets the PR machine going really well, and gets some. I mean, he did nearly kill me in Belgium. We crashed that horrible crash, and I got dragged from the wreckage unconscious, and the oh. helicopter came. Oh, and all that. Yeah. So, um, 
uh, yeah, so it has its moments, but, but it hasn't quite killed me yet. Close. Well, it is. It is. You know, in all seriousness, it is quite a, a, a you know a dangerous sport. Let's be honest about it. Um, but I mean, many many the time I've I've stood up in. Uh, Porlock Hill was the one that reminds me a lot because um, we had uh, Jim Clark one year was doing it and uh, he, he literally went straight in and, and T-boned a, a tree on, on Porlock, which was, which was great really because, you know, Jim Clark doing this right in front of us and we were dead lucky. We just happened to be at the right spot at the right time sort of thing, you know. But, um, yeah. but you know, um, it's a, it's, I think it's a wonderful sport and, and uh, you know, I've had many, many hours freezing my uh, proverbials off but you know and then eventually you hear the first one coming and it, this is it we're in the forest and it's it's brilliant through, yeah absolutely uh, the, the first one i did was um uh, mccray was in there it was, was it was at the height of british rallying there was, mm. there was, there was estimates there was a two million people in the in the mountains and around the stages and everything else. it was just incredible it was incredible sights was in in the race um oh it was good and the, the, the stages couple of the stages were shown live on BBC at the time so it was a big deal it was it was a massive event it felt uh, incredible you felt a little bit of an imposter until till the thinking what am I doing here and when it starts it, it's it's mm. full-on it's crazy, it's but crazy. Don't, don't you think it's, it's it's rather sad that it seems to have completely dropped off the off the headlines these days I mean you know it, it's the it's Welsh struck. rally now isn't it more than the Oz yes it is and um, <laughs> even when they take it up Scotland and North sort of it's still the it's still the Welsh rally um, and also a, a lot of manufacturers have dropped out so it's a very small pool of mm. competing it used to be quite glamorous to be the to be the rally champion and the the, you know, the Mitsubishi Subaru battles all mm. those things yeah were, were fascinating but it's it's shrunk to a lot a great degree right now mm. well of course you know i go back further than you i mean i, I can remember seeing paddy hopkirk come by and, and people like that rano altonen and uh, tony fall and, and i remember one year we, we were very close they uh, uh, british Leyland ran the uh, the old healy 3000s which okay. was worse to see one of those going through the forest that was a sight to behold i can tell you it really was and more music again now we've got uh david bowie and golden years
Going back to football, yeah. Um, you know, you must have had to do some some dodgy interviews in the context that uh, either the manager or the player had had a stinker. They, they, they'd lost, um, and they're not all going to be like Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, as nice as pie. Uh, how do you get over those? I mean, how do you get on with them? Um, well, if they, all managers are easy to interview until they lose. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've had some tricky ones. I mean. Um, Probably the the most awkward at the time, and it was it was at a stage where I hadn't been doing the job particularly for a long time for um, for a particular long time. It was Jose Mourinho. He decided to come in and and basically I, I'm, I'm shorthanding this, but he said I have nothing to say. Probably I don't know a dozen times it felt like it. Every question I so he asked I asked him the usual questions that you'd get post match. What happened there, sort of thing. Um, he said, I have nothing to say. So I thought, oh, I can't leave it at that. <laughs> so I just kept asking him questions and yeah. about the match. You know, and he said, I've got nothing to say. And then I'd ask him something else, and he'd say, I've got nothing to say. And I said, so um, nothing to say about your job? Nothing to say. What about my job? I said, are you going to keep your job? Nothing to say. It was that kind of thing. It was, yeah. um, it, I, was, it, I ended up having to keep keeping him there just for be, to be bloody-minded and and. Just, just keep him there. Basically, you can't just say I've got nothing to say. No. Uh, 
So coming out of that, it, it seemed like it was a long interview. It was probably a minute, a minute and a half uh, of him literally saying nothing. <laughs> but because we kept him there, it took on a life of its own. It became viral. And from from that point on, I, I probably I was thinking, well, there isn't anything much worse that's going to happen than that in an interview. No. So well, it gives you a bit of confidence. So you just crack on with it from then. So that was probably the most awkward one. I had a, a couple of rows with people like um, Jurgen Klopp. When I say rows, it was just more of a debate because he's quite a generous chap with his answers and uh, he's, he gives you long answers to any question. Um, so we had a little dispute about kickoff times and that went on for eight minutes on live TV. So that was a long, long row. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, and I, I survived that one. So you know, <laughs> it's much, have you much. have you done um, Jose since that? Uh, I've got oh, nothing to say. Times. Oh, loads of times. Even on the day, I said to him, "You know, I have to do that." And he said, "No, he was fine with it." He said, "I don't mind. That's fine." He, there were when the managers come in front of the camera, they are perfectly aware that they are performing. No more so than Jose Mourinho. He's mm. master of it. He will throw something back. He will turn the tables. You ask him a question and say, "Well." Why didn't you create any chances, as many chances as you thought you would t today? He will say, well, how many chances did we create? And he'll ask you the question, <laughs> so you have to be ready with this stuff. So he, he tries to turn the tables, and I quite like that because he keeps you on your toes. But I like interviewing him because he, he can go anywhere, and he'll, he's box office. So yeah. he, may, he may try and shoot you down, but it's, if you can negotiate through all that stuff, it, it's pretty um, challenging, but it's quite fun. Um, it's better than the sort of... Uh, uh, very, very formulaic post-match interview. I, it's, it's fun when something different happens. Mm. I like a bit of chaos in terms of something unexpected happening. I don't like chaos in terms of uh, our facilities, our microphones, and all the things that we need to have in place needs to be right, and then you're ready for chaos. Mm. It's, it's awkward when you're fighting. Because what you can't see in the camera, as I was referring to earlier, there, there might be four different international broadcasters using the same point you see so yeah. i might be sharing that in microphone that that little part of pitch side with three other yeah. broadcasters from sweden denmark and somewhere else and it just becomes very difficult when all mm. those things try to pull interviews in and out but hey, it's, it's not exactly a, a massive um problem it's just a, an irritation so it's nice to get a control of the you have to control that little environment you have around you and then then you can concentrate purely on the interview and it makes it much easier but but talking of Jose Mourinho in particular I mean <laughs> you, you you say that uh, um I was on the second time because United played twice at Yeovil and yeah. I think it must have been the second time that I saw you not the first time actually thinking about it but um it's, did you come to the, did you come to the first one do you know but I'll be honest with you, they are all a bit of a blur. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I'd, I'd got this uh, shirt and uh, a couple of other things I needed him to sign, you see. And I was in charge of the, uh, on this particular occasion, because I'd finished at Yeovertown then, but they asked me to come back and help them. So I was in charge of the of the press tent, which we had this huge, great marquee, which we put up. And uh, he had this, this minder with him. And he looked like an Neanderthal. He was, you know, bald head. He had all the attributes. And, and, and he, he, he sidles up to me and he, he says, you're not going to ask him for an interview, are you? So I said, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And it's no good asking him to sign anything because he won't. 
Willie. And he sort of said it in such a way that you sort of, no, no, okay, no, I won't ask him that sort of thing, which which I thought was sad because I thought, well, yes, you know, how, how, how unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. He's you well know. able to speak for himself. He doesn't need too many. Yeah, I just thought that was a, a real a real sad uh, element. Who was, the, who was the first? Was it when you, well, the first tie you're referring to was, was Louis van Gaal in yes. charge? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that one. He went into the dressing room afterwards. He was, yeah. he brought in sign. Louis signed things and brought it into the players. Yeah. Right there. I remember that. Yeah. No, because when, when, I mean, somebody had obviously tipped him off. I didn't know this was going on. And, you know, everybody knew that I was absolutely, I've supported United since 1957. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm a red through it. And this is, this is like, this is one of the best days in my life. United had come to Yeovil, you know, it was just yeah. fantastic. So I walked out onto the pitch and he was there and he says to me, Oh, he says, you must be the red. So yeah. I looked at him a bit. Sort of, I said, uh, "Well, how did you know that?" He said, "Ah," oh, he said, "I I know all these things." But he was absolutely charming, and you know, he comes over as being a bit of a misery. But he was really nice, really nice that, guy. That guy was talking about, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, Com- yeah, yeah. And, and what a difference! What a difference! But but I mean, we we had the ultimate, I think, in 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 managers when it came to PR work, and that in in Gary Johnson because Gary Johnson was brilliant with the press, absolutely brilliant. We brought us into the his office before the match that that day so uh, yeah we did did a little interview in there as well so no yeah he's always been good guy yeah no he has that's right and his son and his son has been local with me he's at, he was at bristol city for a long time so yeah moved on there, but, yeah that's yeah. right well because he's doing quite well at sunderland now isn't he yes yeah. that's the thing time for some more music now and this time we've got crowded house and weather with you
crowded house there and weather with you. What about players? I mean, we, we talked about managers a lot. I mean, have you had any dodgy players come off and get got the ump and get funny? Oh, they always get in trouble, players. But that's, um, oh, yeah, I've got a long list, but I have to keep it fairly clean. So at the Champions League <laughs> final, for instance, Kai Havertz scores. And I said, that's a bit of a relief for you because the amount of money you cost, you haven't scored goals. And he's... He, uh, how can I express this without you having to have the bleeper? He, <laughs> he said, I don't bleeping care about that right now. I've just won the bleeping Champions League. And I went, yeah, that's fair enough. But I have to apologise to people at home for the for the language because that's off rules. Yeah. So, yeah, well, there's, always, there's always a bit of that. To be honest, again, that's that's the kind of thing you want. The... the the form, as I said before, the formula. There are really tight parameters on what you can really discuss in a pre and post match environment. There's not many places to go, so if anything different happens, I'm, I'm loving it. If somebody mm. gets upset, somebody swears, somebody goes on a rant, somebody has an anecdote to tell, you know, it's that's that brings life to it. So I don't mind. It's no problem. I think it's, sometimes players mishear what you say. We forget things that we we take a lot for granted so you, sometimes you're interviewing somebody in front of 50,000 people they can kind of hear you but not fully and they're not talking in and and replying in their first language they're you know it could be their second or even third language and they always seem to get, most of them get through and they do it pretty well I think as I said about the managers players understand the, the benefit of exposure the, the looking good on the camera projecting a positive image all of those things are a part of the theatre now and, and and the clever ones use it well mm. um, I, I see reading through uh, Wikipedia here there's a you, you're involved <laughs> in that's the research is it yeah 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 of course it is <laughs> what would I do without Wikipedia Des? I'd be lost <laughs> um, Britain's most annoying people what was that all about then oh I don't know some little TV programming they talking heads I, I don't do them anymore i did mm. them for a little while um you know when they just put a clip on and you have to uh, yeah not that's not on my yeah sort of, never mind my, the buzzcock flapper stuff is it that sort of thing probably worse than that uh, <laughs> <fair> <laughs> never mind the buzzcocks is funny <laughs> yeah yeah but um have you done any other sports apart from football and rallying uh, rallying um nah, not to any great achievement standard no no i'm i'm a i'm a reporter and a journalist that's my that's my sport yeah no but what I, what i meant was have you done any more other, other sports as a journalist or as a oh, reporter yeah, i was a columnist i was a columnist for daily mirror and columnist for the daily mail so i've done every pretty sport on the planet i mean mm. they sent me to the olympics to do every different sport every day yeah. i've done world title fights formula one finales olympic games any you name it um Vegas fights, um, love it, love it all. I've had a privileged life. There's much, there isn't. <laughs> I was uh, asked, but I, I do these media days for students now, and um, I was asked, "Is this something that you would like to have covered?" And I, I genuinely couldn't think of a thing that yeah. I hadn't done. Which sounds mm. a bit ridiculous. So it just means I'm uh, a very lucky so and so. So yeah, it's been lucky. Right, time for the last musical choice of our Mr. Des Kelly, and it's called "World in My Eyes." And it's by Depeche Mode.
mode take me through because i'm sure a lot of people don't realize that that you know you you appear on the television and you do your interview and then you're off and that, and that you're forgotten as it were with the greatest respect <laughs> to you but i mean you know talk me through a, a bt sport um day when you're you know like take paris for example so i mean talk me okay. through from the moment you left your house to the to the time you got back it's it's all glamour got up at about four thirty in the morning to get a early flight to hang on let me work this one out so yeah, early flight to paris dump the stuff at the hotel go down to do a match day minus one interview so pochettino finish that actually had a few hours to myself in the afternoon late afternoon take a little wander around um did the match the next day somebody at four forty-five tried to um Jimmy, the window of my hotel room to climb in to steal <laughs> stuff, and I didn't realise I was in the room. So then ran away. Then I got up to get the because I was awake already. So my five thirty alarm call wasn't required. So because some guy in a white hoodie was uh, yeah. tent to me up. Um, so then got on a what's it called? Air hop, I think. It's another budget airline from from Paris to Turin to do the dump the stuff at the airport, go to the grounds, cover Juventus against Chelsea, get back in at 1 o'clock, get up at 4, 4.30 to get the first flight, 7 o'clock back to, only went to Stansted, so then go from Stansted to Bristol, then you dump your stuff and you get ready to go back up to Manchester United against Everton. So you're on the road quite a lot and on the telly, a disproportionately small amount for all the travelling. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a pretty full-on sort of lifestyle. I've been mean, having to do that lot, and then having somebody break into your room as well. I mean, that must. Yeah, have... that was a bit strange. That that doesn't normally happen. To be fair, I don't know what was going on there. It was a strange boy. It must have been a bit hairy, though, wasn't it? I mean, you you obviously. Oh, yeah, he ran away though. <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was good then. But I mean, what did he go back out the window? He came in. No, he didn't get in the window. He was he was actually on I'm on the first floor and he climbed up onto the terrace and was trying to jimmy it open with this um 
little iron, little iron bar. There you go. That's, oh, the, that's, that's life that's, on the road. It's quite fascinating, really. So, um, so where do you see the future now then for Des Kelly? Oh, I'm happy to cling on where I am at the moment. Actually, I'm enjoying it. I, I wouldn't. It's difficult for me to. I've had so many good jobs over the years. I've had sports editor jobs. I've had columnist jobs, and um, I had a license to do pretty much what I want over a number of years. To the idea of going back into. I mean, I've been very kindly asked to do a couple of lovely jobs and I've declined them because I actually like being out and about and being in the centre of, of a major event like a Champions League final. There's nothing like it. It's, it's, mm. it's, you're not even in the press box. You're literally on, on the pitch in the middle of it, pre and post-COVID, of course, but um, you are in the centre of the action and it is, um, it's, it's wonderful. It's great. You just feel you're part of it. We're just broadcasting it. You're not. I always, I always um, compare it to being at a wedding, but you're not getting married. You're you're the, you're the best man. You're, you've just got to make things happen and not cock it up. Mm. That's your job, and that's what my job is to go there, get a bit of reaction, get some of the emotion, capture the feeling of the night or, or after whatever it is. Um, just capture some of the event, and and get out of there unscathed, hopefully. <laughs> And, um, you, you know, uh, my brain's gone dead on me now. What was I going to say to you? Um, yeah, who who would you say, uh, you know, going back over the years, is the most impressive person that you've interviewed? And, and, and from the point of view of, from your side of things that, you know, you thought was a bloody good interview, and from his side, because he was a, a pretty sort of noticeable person, shall we say? I always used to really like interviewing Zlatan Ibrahimovic because he was just a performer um, mm. it was just tremendous fun, oh, just a laugh he was great mm. but he had a presence about him as well, but when you're when you're doing an interview you want to hit, to talk to the big hitters so, so Alex Ferguson is a ferociously um, famous figure in, in, in journalistic circles because of his uh, bands and his mm. uh, his protective the blanket he used to put around his players and then he tried to control it and I always enjoyed that, that was good fun I really used to like talking to Arsene Wenger because he had a you could have a very long conversation about all sorts of things him, Jurgen Klopp's very impressive, very impressive he's a, he's a, a very good talker he has a, a, a very balanced opinion about a number of things, you won't always agree with him but you realise where he's coming from and he's very generous with his answers, so is Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea, you, you can you could tell the, the managers who who will help you, not noticeably, but you might ask a really stupid question. And instead of saying that's a stupid question, they'll give you a very good answer. So they're, they're the kinds of people mm. that you respond to. Um, some of the hardest, though, Guardiola is very sort of fidgety on a, on a match day, but he's, he's very, a very different person away from the game. Uh, you could actually let him organise your life if you wanted to, because he's very good at yeah. how things work. But on a match day, he's it, in a match day, you're a little bit of a distraction more than a little bit. Sorry, you are a distraction from the main event for him. So doing the interview is something he wants to get over as quickly as possible and get out of there. So yeah. I understand all that. I have a bit of empathy for those people. I also have a bit of empathy for the managers who have to stand there and and be asked. Are you going to be in the job next week? Because whatever happens, however friendly you are with these managers, or however you've got on with them over the years, there still will come a point where you have to ask them the question: Are you going to be sacked this week? So yeah. that's always there, and um, so you can't avoid that either. But 
I kind of I used to I used to think about it and overanalyze it. I think sometimes you just have a chat hmm. and it, it works well. Are there, are there any that you could say are more than just managers? They're friends now or not? Have you ever sort of formed uh, that sort of relationship with them? Yeah, you do. You do. If they know who you are, and, I, and that's that's fine. Uh, yeah, I have a number of friends in the game and uh, going back a very long way, and, and they without. I won't name them because it's just a bit strange. But you, there are people who have helped me in the game that I would I wouldn't be in this position. I wouldn't have um, got to the many many good jobs that I've had. I, I wouldn't have reached those levels without the help of certain people, and uh, I'll always be grateful to. Them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Des, it's been fascinating talking to you. Covered an awful lot of stuff. I've just got one more I want to hit you with. Um, where's it gone? This. Uh, uh, you you competed in a Formula One a two seater Formula One race with Fernando yeah. Alonso. What was that all about? Uh, what it says on the tin. So uh, they created a, a special event. Uh, did it at Donington Park. We um, so two seater Formula One cars. It used to be a sort of uh, kind of. I think McLaren made the first one. Yeah, they would use it as the sort of a PR thing and they would take people for a ride. So, so they decided to have a race. So I think there were seven cars. Um, Mansell was in it. Damon Hill was in it. Alonso was in it. And it was, I was lucky enough to be in um, one of the cars with Alonso. Yeah. And they give you a dead man switch. So of course these, these cars are, I don't know, I don't, it's not a car really at all. It's more of a rocket. The, <laughs> the, speed, the speed they reach is around 200 miles an hour. Of course, I walk in in the gear, in my suit, fireproof and all that stuff, um, and the Alonso, I could see the disappointment on his face because he's thinking, oh, I said, what? He said, I wanted a little girl or something. I wanted a little someone small. And I said, well, oh, unlucky. So I was basically ballast in the car, you see, so I, I cost him a second here. So, um, we do the race and they give you a dead man switch because so, a lot of people pass out because the G's are quite high so, so you have to keep the button down so if you if you pass out your, your hand comes off the switch and the engine cuts so you have to your first job is to say stay in the car not get sick and do not pass out they're, they're your main <laughs> jobs but the speed is fantastic and with the rallying it's more you're actually it doesn't feel as fast as, as the rally because you've got so many trees and things so close to you yeah but with a Formula One car, it's, it's the speed is fantastic, but the braking is unbelievable. It's is off it? the hard. It's so you go 200 miles an hour, then you get to the hairpin at Donington. Alonso hits the brakes. He brings the car down to probably 80 miles an hour. So there's 120 miles an hour that's come off that car in a second or two. Oh, it's like everything goes. Your <laughs> tonsils fly out. You're right. And after 10, 10 laps or whatever it was, 12 laps, you are you are poured out of the car. They're <laughs> lifting you out of the thing because it's exhausting. So, yeah. And when you're watching it on the telly at home, it looks like a PlayStation game, of course. But yeah. physically, physically, it's so demanding for these drivers. It's incredible. Again, that's on the, the list of... I've had a lucky life and I've had some great experiences. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I live in a little village in Somerset and uh, they make the aerial atom uh, literally. Have you seen that? Um, yeah, well, they make that literally. That's you know, top, that's top, top gear lap times, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, have you seen the bit where where Clarkson gets in it and his face is yeah. virtually broken? Yeah, unbelievable. But I mean, again, it's 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 a very fast car because there's no weight in it, obviously, and it's it's Nothing, very yeah. powerful. But no, well, I, I am. Well, I don't know whether I do envy you that. I've, I envy you the rally bit certainly. I'm not so sure about the Formula One though. It sounds a bit too hairy for me at my age, anyway. But look, Des, thank you ever so much for coming on. It's been really fascinating, and you got some great tales to tell. And I'm sure there's a few more locked away there, but we haven't got. Time time to do them unfortunately save them for the book yeah I? yeah exactly <laughs> but uh, but thanks ever so much for joining us really appreciate it and uh, I shall look forward to watching out for you next time you're on Champions League when United are on I hope honour and a privilege thank you very much thank you the heart is a blue up through the stony ground There's no room No space to win In this town You're out of luck And the reason that you had to care The traffic is stuck And you're not moving anywhere You thought you found a friend To take you out of this place someone you can lend a hand in return for 